0: welcome highfalutin ski bum podcast episode number 234 thirty-four. It is your pals mario and brian mario what's up not much just uh trading on some cryptocurrency thinking about skiing, and a lot going on right now getting a puppy there's a whole lot of stuff going on you're you're living quite the life right now you're you're like you're robin Leaching it right now lifestyle rich and famous champagne I'm- wishes and caviar dreams <laughs> I'm getting my shop dog. This is good. So, yeah, first, I get the shop, shop dog, dog, and then I get the ski shop. See, that's I'm doing that first before the ski shop. That's really the easier order to go in. Get the dog first, you know, teach him something. Then, as soon as the shop opens, he's ready to go. Hunting down any shoplifters, right? Yeah. He's, gonna, I don't think he's gonna be that big. He's gonna be maybe 50 pounds tops. Okay. It's a mini sheep doodle. If it was a full sheep doodle, I saw a picture of one. It those are They're gigantic, monstrous, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I didn't think they were that big. That's but, adorable, though. So, dorb's. We'll look forward to seeing little Stormy in the future. Oh, he's going to be on the podcast. I can imagine next week. Well, I will tell you. And I've talked to folks about this. We talked to Cassie from On the Snow last week, and I asked her, "I'm like, what kind of post do you get the most traction on?" And she's like, "When I post pictures of dogs." So, oh, yeah, we are going to use Little Stormy a lot too <laughs> on Instagram. I mean, that's what Rich did. Yeah, all about that right. He got a dog, and he just you know hoarded out with the it's brand to getting a dog. A hey, can you, it might be part of our logo soon. You know, <laughs> this is possibly true. <laughs> Well, thank you everyone so much for listening. We have an awesome, awesome interview this week with the legendary Dan Egan. Fantastic. It was, a, it it was, was really cool. 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 It was a great chat. He's a great guy. He's got a new book coming out called 30 Years in a White Haze. Check us out, skibumpodcast.com. We're on all the socials Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, untapped at podcast We got merch, this kind of we stuff. Merch. We Beautiful merch. stuff. shop. I love that? that hoodie. The hoodie is like warm. It got cold down here now. It's like in the 40s, 50s, some days. And I tell you, I put that on, hits a spot. All of the ones that we get, they're all Bella and canvas. It's like the highest, like nicest kind of material you can get. It's light, but it still keeps you warm. We got the zips and we got the yeah. hoodies. I love them all. Yeah. So check it out. It's keep on slash shop. Go to your favorite podcasting apps, rate and subscribe. That would really help us out, help spread the word, spread the love. If you want to send us an email, SkiBonePodcast at gmail.com. If you want stickers, email us there or DM us on Instagram. We're happy to get some out to you. So you can go on your trips and you can go a little Project Mayhem for us and splatter the stickers all over the place, helmets, ski boxes, whatever you got. Thank you again so much for checking us out. We have to thank our wonderful sponsors, and we have two of them valon v-a-l-o-n dot s-t-o-r-e they have awesome classic styles for eyewear goggles sunglasses they're using modern materials and technologies with more of a classic 70s look they are originating out of verbier switzerland born out of a love of ski touring independent and family owned reasonably priced and which awesome for every pair of glasses you buy they are cleaning up one kilogram of plastic waste. So, so far over 54,000 pounds of plastic waste cleaned up. Free shipping to the U.S. Express shipping available, free returns. Go to their website, Valon.store, V-A-L-L-O-N.S-T-O-R-E. You can use the promo code bum 15 for 15% off at checkout. So thank you to Valon for sponsoring us. Also, our newest sponsor, Teresia. They make some really sweet outerwear, T-E-R-R-A-C-E-A.com, premium cold weather solutions. Their mission is to create best-in-class apparel that can be worn in any cold temperature environment, designed with thoughtful features and fit, and always providing the optimum level of performance. So they are based out of New Hampshire. They're about five years old. I am rocking a sorrel jacket, which you can't see because we're doing this, the audio podcast. Um, but it's super bright yellow (laughs) whenever I'm out there skiing. Everybody can see me, which is awesome. But it's got the same features as you get on, you know, the really high-end brands, but at a much more reasonable price. Really nice quality, small business, five years old. If you go to their website, terasea.com, again, dot acom and you use the code bum, all one word, all lowercase, you can get 15% off at checkout. They've got jackets, pants, puffers, shirts. A lot of cool stuff. Thank you, Teresia, for sponsoring us. Let's start the podcast not the way we always do.
1: Let's go to Ski News.
0: So one thing that has been strange in this completely bizarre, strange last year or so is that there hasn't been tons of snow everywhere this year so far, which is unfortunate. What's also unfortunate is Hunter Mountain in New York, in the Catskills, they are closed due to COVID. They announced on Facebook on Tuesday, so recording this on January the 7th, so that was the 5th, they announced that a bunch of their patrollers had gotten COVID, and they are going to close the mountain down Tuesday. Okay, yeah, they offered great. refunds. It's Thursday now, and they are still closed. So they said a number of their patrollers were... Opting out of work because of COVID 19, which is uh, affecting their operations. And I, you know, as of this point, they're still closed and they're going to reassess and figure out if they can even open for the weekend. Wow. That's a big hit. Dude, that is a big hit because that is the closest yeah. best mountain to the New York City area. Oh, yeah. And a lot of ski clubs go up there. There's a lot of uh, bus service that they do from Long Island, from Jersey, from New York. It's, it's only about two great hours trip up in there. In that area, from that major metro area, you know, it's a short trip. It's a really fun mountain to ski on. There's some really pretty gnarly terrain there. It's it's great, but this is this is messy. I'm surprised it's taken this long to happen, which I guess is probably a good thing. You know, we all had that big Thanksgiving COVID wave, and then yep. you're like, well, the same thing's going to happen at Christmas, obviously. And you know, it's been what two weeks after Christmas now, and haven't heard too much about it, but we might be hearing it this weekend into next week that places yeah. are, you know, more people are getting it. There's another wave going through. Well, <sighs> now that everybody's it. freaking about it, about this new strain and all that stuff, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. This is something to keep tabs on. Hopefully they can get this up and running, but it also shows too. I mean, these ski resorts, they're kind of operating at shoestring budgets more so than usual with COVID. And now to have, you know, you get a couple patrollers getting sick, this is not something you can just call your buddy or your neighbor or your sister to come and fill in. This is something you need to have to be an expert. You need to have lots of training and expertise to be able to do this role. Could you imagine well, if someone... People all over it that, that they say they have to have those certifications, right? And they're hard to get. And they should be. Yeah. But could you imagine if they just they put in like scab ski patrollers in there and <laughs> someone got hurt or died? Oh, yeah. That'd be a huge liability. I mean, they're owned by Vail. I mean, that could be a massive lawsuit. Because we all know, Vail's number one. Vail's Mm -hmm. responsibility, their fiduciary obligation is to their shareholders, not to the skiers. So... That's one thing they are going to avoid at all costs. Imagine you get a bunch of lawyers hanging out at the bottom of that, like better call Saul. Like, did you slip and fall while skiing? Come on, call me. I'll represent you. Dude, do you remember when we were out in Park City a couple of years ago, we were taking the, uh, the the shuttle bus that they have around there. And there yeah. was the one lawyer had his sign plastered all over the, Everywhere the bus. Oh, I see he's what's like, going on a, here. He's like, I get a lot of referrals from this bus. Yeah, seriously, right? Yeah. Yeah, People can't walk home. So they got to take the bus home, their crutches and their cast. Yeah. Fell. They're hurting. I think I'm going to sue somebody now. Thanks. Uh, Yeah. It sucks. And again, you don't want people suing the mountains. You don't want people having a good time. You don't want people getting COVID. You don't want scab ski patrollers out there. We're balancing like a a whole bunch of champagne flutes. You know, you're kind of like holding them up and hoping things don't fall and collapse. I just don't want it to be like the McDonald's coffee, where they have to put a disclaimer that skiing may be slippery, or you can't ski on these areas because they're too steep, or you, you can go too fast. Nerfing you know, the world. Nerfing the world, nerfing and, and then the world. Next, you're only allowed to walk in certain areas on the. Pretty soon, you're just going to go through a ride. You're going to sit. It's going to be like Wally. We're all fat, just sitting on these things, and they take you through a little ski area, and, and that's your idea of skiing. Like no, it's got to, it's got to be wild. That's actually one one question I wanted to ask Dan and I forgot to. I'm like, do you? Could you imagine like we talked about the feeling of skiing, how awesome it is? Like what a what a one of the best feelings in the world is you know flying down a mountain. Do you think they could possibly replicate that with AI in some way? And it's almost impossible to answer because we don't know what the future is going to hold. And I'm sure they will get to a point, 100, 200, six years from now. To mimic that? Could you Maybe imagine if they- They a car from now, right? They have the Oculus, which looks pretty cool. Visually, it gives you that stimulation. You just need like the sensation, the body could, sensation. Could you imagine if they could drop you into Corbett's virtually? Oh, and then you don't even have to break your back for real. You break it virtually. I wonder if I could learn a backflip virtually. Like if I could just get the idea, the motion, the feeling. Maybe I can create a AI, like a virtual backflip machine. You know, it will be great if, if like they just decide. look, too many people are trying this in AI. So if you break your leg in AI, you have a broken leg for six weeks. <laughs> so you're like, you're like, damn it. I can't even play because I broke my leg skiing. Well, what do you mean? You look fine. Well, I broke it in the, in the game. Yeah. I mean, it's going to happen. Eventually yeah. down the road, we're going to have virtual skiing, but for now we need ski patrol. We need the mountains. Yeah. We need veil. Apparently. Even virtual skiing. I think we need ski patrol. Yeah. All right. Next up. This is from, it's funny. It's from the New York post that was carried from the telegraph because it's a story out of Germany. German police are struggling to keep skiers off the slopes amid COVID-19 lockdown. They have this funny picture. Actually it's a video where the police are like running after people that are on the slope and they're just like, screw it, I'm skiing, man, I'm out. And they just- Screw you, snow pig. (laughs) (laughs) So police chase people off the slopes of a closed ski resort after hundreds flocked to Winterberg, defying appeals from authorities to stay home. So German police have their hands full trying to keep ski buffs off the slopes of a popular winter spot that is supposed to be shut down to halt the spread of coronavirus, according to reports. They said thousands of day trippers have flocked to Winterberg near Dusseldorf in the recent days, despite attempts by police to close off the access roads. They said there were, again, repeat violations led to banning people from entering the slopes. But they said despite the 176 violations issued, so they actually caught 176 people, 94 violations of social distancing and two criminal charges in recent days, police appear to be unable to stop the avalanche of visitors to the slopes. Good. Fight the power, Germany, dude! Now wait a minute. So they're giving you a citation for social distance violation. Isn't a cop getting in your face and giving you a ticket a social distance violation? They're like social distance, not wearing a mask, and then probably other stuff is just fights and doing whatever else. Germany, you know <laughs> a thing or two about fascism. Stay on top of this. Do not I let this you, go. Isaiah. I see you there. Stop now. It was like, hilarious. Later, most people are like, "Eh, go f yourself. That's Fick right. off. <laughs> Try to find me." No, no. I have the other mask. That was that guy you were looking for. That's right. <laughs> I wonder what they're doing. Like radio on top. Like hey, this asshole just you know went down. I gotta you gotta go pick him up down down below. I don't know. This is like some Keystone cops, like super trooper stuff. You know, they're was like, "No oh, ticket, ticket, ticket. Come back here." Ah. No, hey, you no ticket. No mask. Yeah, just skis by. Yeah. Wait for everybody down at, at their car, right? Yeah. It's fun. What, what's this world coming to? Trying to stop you on the mountain. You're true. outside having fun yeah, in again, fresh air. You're outside. You're not getting, how close are you getting to people? It's like you're getting a social distancing violation ticket. It's like, this is my son. He lives with me anyway. Like, <laughs> if I don't take care of him, he will die. Can you imagine them giving you tickets for not wearing a mask inside your own house? Just think of that. Dude, you laugh now. You laugh now. Too far out. So our buddy Steve is wearing uh, a mask inside the house now because he knows somebody here or somebody at the gym that tested positive. So now he's being respectful of his family. And so he's quarantined upstairs. His family's downstairs and they're all wearing masks in the house. He's like... I never thought I'd see the day. Well yeah, when Andrea right. had it, that's what we did too. She had a mask on. And you know, I I barely saw her for like a week. And then after a week, she's like, This is getting ridiculous. So she wore the mask downstairs. And you know, me and Benjamin kind of were hanging out in the the main level and she was upstairs, but she had to come and eat, get food wow. and stuff. But yeah, it was weird. She's like, I'm so sick of this, I hate this so much. Cause it mm-hmm. is weird. You're like, why am I wearing a mask inside? Wow. So she Instead, we drove in a car. Oh, antibodies now. I guess some of them, maybe. Nice. I didn't get. I was with her for three days in a car. Didn't get uh, it. Didn't get it. Didn't get it. Oh, positive blood, baby. So does it. There you go. And liver chips. Liver chips. I'm telling you, I believe that these carnivore Aurelius beef liver chips have. There's helped. Me beef liver chips. It's funny. He likes regular chips, like everybody does. He's like, Daddy, can I have a chip? I'm like, You want a liver chip? He goes, Yeah. He goes. I don't like liver chips I'm like, nobody does they're, not, nobody they're does. not They're not. delicious they're not like friggin Tostitos hint of lime but they get you jacked they get you protect you from the Rona they're liver chips with a that hint of it. kidney that's that's it there's no mm. there's no good way to build that delicious crispy organ meat with extra liver like what What else can you have with that you know I'm ready to make a smoothie with them just how about blend like a it tomato, up? tomato lime how about that tomato lime. Hey How man river chips in a Bloody Mary. That could work. That could, that work. could work. Maybe you'd yeah. like Bloody Marys then. Maybe, what? maybe right. <laughs> Just like First, that, that, the clamato or the chelato. What was the beer with the the clam and, to, and it, what, what the clam and tomato in Korea, beer. Yeah. beer. Yeah. Yeah. Which I've seen in a lot of places like they do the beer margaritas and the beer bloody marys and all, I'm like, ah, I don't get it. I don't know. They're like a beef I'm liver. Once in a while, though, like I have turned the corner. I'm like, I'm okay with them, and I will have them once in a while. I wonder if you can somehow take the liver, like forget the whole chip process. We're talking regular cow liver. Grind take it, it and somehow make like a soy sauce out of it, like a Worcestershire. Isn't Worcestershire part like liver or something? That's gross. You think you ferment it and then it comes out better? I mean, what? gets worse with fermentation i say you just chuck it in the NutriBullet bullet and just drink it down yeah all well I, just, all I do is i take a couple chips and i put a ton of water in my mouth to get them a little bit soft because they're really this batch is really thick like they're they were so they you keep them in this. your mouth that long to get them soft Dude, you have to it's like look at these things i mean they're like it's like chewing it's like on jerky right it's it's like well it's not soft at all it's crispy wow see it's i mean look at this wow look at that that's like a dog is that for dogs is that, dog, <laughs> is that a dog chew thing actually if we had a dog you know i might buy some of those for my dog for dogs to be what are those dogs called they're like all jacked super it'd be a super jacked up dog whatever what are those dogs called some kind of pit bull aren't they oh, really? yeah there's some sort of breed of dog See, the most muscular dog, I'm I'm Googling. It says American Pit Bull Terrier and then American Staffordshire Terrier, which is Buford. Uh, Dogo Argentino. Bull Whippets? Maybe that's the one. Whippets? Yeah. Bull Terrier. I need some water. American flight. Bully? Is that the one It's kind of the very broad stance? Yeah. American Bully. No, there's some other kind of dog. It's like extra freakish, but... Yeah, pit bulls are jacked, too. So one more crazy story this week. Skier dangling from chairlift at New York Resort caught by rescuers down below. Damn. This happened at Bristol Mountain, which is about 35 miles south of Rochester, so in upstate New York. Heart-stopping video showing rescuers catch a skier who was slipping off a chairlift. Now, did you watch this video? I did not watch it. It's it's pretty creepy. This was a 14-year-old girl, and she was dangling by her jacket for nearly two minutes. But fortunately, the resort's ski patrol, because they're not scabs and they're trained, they know what to do, responded quickly, and was able to help break her fall using a safety tarp. Dude, wow. it's it's freaking, oh, it's pretty terrible. They actually held out like the old fireman tarp with a, yeah. right, that's awesome. Oh, Yeah. yeah. You have the picture of that Boop. yeah she escaped the incident unharmed A witness said she wasn't injured she was okay and she's able to stand up and walk away yeah I'm looking <clears throat> at this dangling I guess her friends are holding I always worry about my backpack getting caught oh dear I do now like I used to not and then people started getting hung up and now I'm a little I don't want to get Snagged. Dude, that happened to me when we were in Tahoe. I <sighs> was so dumb. That was like our first big trip. Well, I didn't say because I was like, "Let's see if he stays on the left." You know, <laughs> Dude, I, my bag was like one of those giant, like Swiss-made backpacks. You know, you put like thirty-seven laptops in there. Nice. So I had it, and I it got kind of. It was almost the right height to between the bars. So at first I was like, "Uh oh," and then I just like like thrust myself, and it pulled pulled me out. Kind of messed up. Yeah. Dude, you have a whole mouthful of like liver chips, don't you? I'm still chewing, dude. Like this is, like, this is what's really chew, man. You can have that instead of chew. It's like you said, it is like a dog treat. Hopefully it's <laughs> making my teeth stronger. That's kind of a nice thing. Your teeth in your jaw. It's good for that. I'm going to have like one of those big jacked, like, like, uh, what's the guy, American dad, like his jaw after this? <laughs> So they're saying that the Bristol Mountains general manager, they are conducting an internal investigation into the incident. And so they don't know how she got into that particular situation. And of course, they got the mother on Good Morning America, and they haven't connected. And of course, the family is going to try to squeeze money out of the resort. Of course. I wonder, was this girl on her phone? Oh, yeah. It's a 14-year-old girl on a ski lift. I don't want to stereotype 14-year-old girls. Just saying. But they spend a lot of time on their phones. Just saying. If I was a betting I, man. If I were a betting man. Right. And I will be honest, I spend probably far too much time on my phone on a chairlift, too. Because what else are you going to do? Yeah. I don't you don't like talking to people. You know? I gotta post, I gotta post some Teresia pictures to make sure they keep sponsoring us. I gotta post my Valon glasses, because I got to make sure they can sponsor us. I'm doing business on the lift on my phone. Not a businessman. Perhaps she is a TikTok star and she had to bust out and drop some rhymes while she was on the lift. We don't know. She was dropping rhymes all the way into that parachute that those rescuers held open for her. I will also say, I'm sure Mario, you've seen it too. You've seen some people who do a lot of stupid stuff. Oh, Teenagers yeah. that do stupid stuff. In general, humans do stupid things. I mean, it's just a it's a it's a, a rule. It's the only one of the only few constants you can count on. People will do stupid stuff. Yes, people will do stupid stuff. Most important thing is she's okay. And be safe, be smart. Don't just put the bar down on the chairlift and just sit there. Yeah. Just sit, hang out. Don't take your jacket off. Don't try to move around. Just sit there. Chill Just out. Sit there. Harness your chi. Right. Realize you're about to engage in one of the most fun things you can do in less than five minutes once you get off. Visualize, then attack. So you're Visualize. like, you see like Michaela Schiff and Gary Ray. She's like doing her like, because she, she knows what she's going to do. She's like plot, plotting out her turns, her moves. Yep. Maybe you should do that too. Right. On the lift. Just get ready. Get mentally focused and ready. Speaking of mentally focused, (laughs) how about that for a segue? We're going into our main topic. We had the absolute privilege of interviewing Dan Egan this past week. He's coming out with a new book. It's called 30 Years in a White Haze. And it's his story of a worldwide adventure and the evolution of extreme skiing. So it's done with Dan. And it's also written by Eric Wilbur from Boston.com who we're hoping to have on in the next week or so as well. It's Dan's life story over the last 30 years. And he gave us some great insight to the, the crazy times that he's been through. Even his family too, right? Like it's just, it, it doesn't cover just him. It's like his family and there's a lot going on there. Not just skiing too. It was a really fun conversation, and Dan is a super nice, super thoughtful guy, and we sent him some cool questions ahead of time, and he has some great answers for us, and I'm psyched for this book. It comes out February 15th. We're going to check it out. Hopefully, you guys, too. We'll have more information as it gets closer. Yeah, presales at white-haze.com if you want to check it out, but here is the interview with Dan Egan. We have a very, very special guest this week. The man needs no introduction. He's a skier, Hall of Famer, author, filmmaker. An icon. Icon. (laughs) I'm probably missing some things, Dan, and I apologize. Dan Egan, thank you so much for joining us.
1: It's uh, great to be with you guys, as always. Fun. uh, Winter is officially here. We're into 2021. I can't believe it. And uh, January is always a good month
0: yeah it's funny we just reposted the our, uh interview that we did with you and and jeff and patrick from this past summer for the the warren miller ski bomb documentary and it was fun i mean july seems like a long time ago when we had that chat and, you know here we are and the world's still kind of weird but you know we're uh
1: we're getting we're getting slowly hopefully back to normal skiing weird this year Yeah, it is. You know, it's, it's weird. It's a weird time, right? Cause it's the time is going slow and fast at the same time. It's really odd because it's just so much happening and then a blink of an eye. So, uh, you know, I feel like, wow, you know, we're staring down the barrel at, um, MLK weekend really, you know? Uh, and then things really pick up.
0: Yeah. So how has this season been different for you personally?
1: Well, you know, it's like everybody else, just a lot more caution and, uh, you know, trying to keep space. Uh, some I've had some cancellations for my trips and private groups and our custom made adventures, but other people are still going forward with it. Um, so with all that being said, you know, not too bad. And uh, different, different opportunities are coming up. And it's been a nice uh, to have a little bit more time just to get things together with my book and other projects.
0: Yeah, the book we're excited to talk about. Um, So has your media company had to make any changes in this new pandemic world? Have you found any new opportunities, things you could work on, capitalize, do?
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, we've been using and integrating different platforms for uh, virtual trade shows. So we've been doing a lot of uh, product reviews, product videos, virtual trade shows, uh, using StreamYard, Zoom, and other platforms all together so embedding one platform inside another uh, so we have some pre-recorded we have live audience and a lot of interaction so it's been pretty cool to do that
0: Oh nice yeah I know you uh, you were on that webinar back in December with um, Harry from Harry's Avalanche talk uh-huh. that was yeah. that was a really fun conversation that was cool to kind of kind of hear your story and a little bit of your philosophy. On uh, how you are, how you got to where you were, and uh, and hearing you and Harry kind of go back and forth a bit from your old ski racing days was funny.
1: Yeah, you know. Uh, so um, Henry, Henry's Henry, Henry, up- I'm so sorry, That's Henry. Okay, because uh, I tease Henry all the time, and uh, he looks like a Harry he, though. But we, um, you know, we grew up racing together at Blue Hills right outside of Boston. He was at Newton North, and I was at Milton High School. And um, our roots go all the way back to the ski market. He worked uh, for the red, white, and blue uh, cross from BU on Com Ave Ski Market. And I worked in Braintree Five Corners. And we raced against her in high school. And I always think it's amazing two Boston kids slugging it out, still having fun skiing together in the industry. That's so it's fun. a beautiful thing. Yeah. yeah.
0: So now you mentioned your book. And it's called 30 Years in a White Haze. You uh, Did you co-write it with Eric?
1: Yeah, Eric Wilbur uh, and I co-wrote the book, and um, I really can't say enough about Eric. You know, um, Eric over the years has written a lot about John and I, and um, right around the Hall of Fame induction, he approached me about, about a book. And, uh, you know, feeling my oats a little bit. I said, ah, you know, no, no big deal. I've got it. Uh, I had this white haze book sort of outlined and I had the table of contents and that sort of thing. Uh, And I said, no, I'm pretty far down the road with it. And then a year later, I called him back and I said, I need help. I was, kind of, <laughs> and uh, without Eric, I don't think it would have got would have really get done. You know, Eric was able to do a lot of the heavy lifting and really do a lot of the interviews that were personal that would have been harder for me. So, you know, my mom and my brother and my ex wife and ex business partners and all that. Eric went out and did that, and I, that added a lot to the book.
0: Oh, wow. yeah! If you were doing that yourself, that's a lot to do, and it's a little, little it could be a little uncomfortable, right? So having Eric kind of do that for you was probably a good move.
1: Yeah, it was, you know, it was really, the other interesting thing that Eric brought to the table was uh, we decided to tell the story through the third person. Um, So that also allowed those people and other voices space in the book. So it wasn't me saying something about them. It was the narrator's voice, Eric's voice commenting or introducing or allowing their uh memories to have more space um and that was a conversation that we really we struggled with uh we bantered around for months and months even with publishers on the right direction and in the end i'm so glad we did it that way
0: so uh you mentioned the, the hall of fame induction so when did you actually start with eric writing this book
1: um you know eric and i've been on this book i i would say the last year and a half um and yeah uh, it's really a boston globe project you know both of us uh, boston.com boston globe contributors and then we had uh, matt pepin the senior sports writer at the globe do the initial edit so all summer matt uh you know kind of got us you know, as he's edited us for years, uh, really helped with the direction, a lot of great input and, and, and where we were going with the book. Um, so it was fun because we all knew each other so well, and we were all so familiar with each other's work. It really was cool.
0: Yeah. And I guess being in lockdown quarantine probably actually helped in the time, project, right? right?
1: Yeah, you know, it was just one of those things. I think the timing was right. And uh, I think COVID in a lot of ways did help us get it across the finish line. Uh, definitely, you know, it provided a lot more time uh, for, for Matt and Eric because they weren't writing like they normally are uh, with all the sports. So there was a little bit more space uh, to everybody get involved.
0: There was none of those like all work and no play makes Dan yeah. a dull boy in those days.
1: <laughs> uh, you know, getting
0: her done. <laughs> That's right. That's that's why Matt and Eric were there
1: to edit, right? Yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> that's
0: right. <laughs> yeah, we've had Matt on the show too. So Ed actually brought up a good point because I I wasn't even thinking about that. Yeah, he was probably not doing much with the sports shutdown. I mean, everything was closed and even skiing now is it's what all World Cup is all in Europe. So that's even like changed a lot too. So mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you know, it's so interesting with the World Cup uh, rocking over in, the, in Europe. And, of course, the U.S. having so much success this year uh, early. Uh, but, you know, like the FIS in Europe is like NFL here. So right. not to have it, it, it like I think the Euros just couldn't get their heads around that. <laughs> yeah. And so and it really also I think it's it's a positive sign for the industry that that we're racing. Right. That that even with the shutdown in Europe and the ski lifts, uh, they're still racing. They're still committed to the sport. And I think it just is helping the conversation all around.
0: Yeah, it shows its relevance, it, you know, it, in everybody's mind and, and hearts, and people want to see it. So there's definitely that market for it. So it's great to see. I mean, we've been in, in where we were in Austria, where, we, in where Austria. there was a World Cup event, and it was like the Super Bowl. But there's crowd around a TV in the bar. It was yeah. like, we were like, what's going on? Like, oh, yeah, this, you know, we're watching the racing going, but it yeah. was. Definitely, it's a good analogy—the NFL uh, to to racing in Europe.
1: Yeah, the Austrians especially. Um, yeah, yeah, they just they just start hugging you. They just start hugging <laughs> you up and, up and down. It's unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's funny because we were in—I think we were in Ishgill then, and then yeah. they, they were the races. The COVID hotspot. Yeah, and then you know Ishgill became this COVID hotspot this year, and it's just yeah, it's funny thinking about the places you've been and the things you've done and the places you've gone. Right. And then you kind of think about all the people that are affected now with this, with COVID and shutdowns and lockdowns. And yeah. it's the people who, you know, were you know doing the ski bum jobs, people at the resorts, people, at the staff, the bars. You're hearing about all these people now, all these resorts shutting these folks down. Yeah, you know, not no fault of their own. Not that they didn't do a good job. Like those are the things I know Mario and I have talked about it all summer long, all fall, just about the people we've met on kind of this this journey here. And but you wish you could do more for them, but you kinda of feel like your hands are tied. Usually you'd be like, We'll go to that restaurant, we'll leave a nice big tip, we'll go help them out, but if you're not there, it's you, you can't do those kind of things. So yeah. it's it's sad, but it like you know, like you guys were talking about, you you had a time where things weren't happening, but you took advantage of it. You found you you maximized the time that you had. Which yeah. I guess is kind of a nice metaphor for for life in general, right? You know, you kinda you only get this we limited amount of time. <laughs> You have this limited amount of time. You really do have to maximize it to get maximum results.
1: Yeah. You know, it, it, you know, all the I, I probably started working. I started working on White Haze uh, the day Warren Miller Entertainment fired me from uh, I was doing all the PR for 21 shows east of Chicago uh, of the road show. Wow. And uh, that was that was quite a while ago. And I was probably like, oh six oh seven, seven. And I thought, what would Warren do? What would Warren do? And so, you know, to start the process, I always, you know, for the last few years I was, my head was in, how am I gonna finish the process? And I always thought, well, I'm gonna have to go to a ski area and kind of like park it and just kind of really focus in and and let the stories come back. And that's what COVID allowed. You know, I just camped out up here in, in beautiful New Hampshire, spring, summer, and fall. And with Eric's help, we're able to flesh out all those stories. Oh, that's really cool. That's so was there cool. was there anything that you kind of learned about yourself
0: in, in writing this book, kind of looking back at your history, your accomplishments, the things you've done?
1: I mean, the book is really personal. It's a really personal look at uh, the price you pay for following your passion. Um, you know, I, I mean, there the is a price way.
0: for people that I don't realize, right? There is yeah. a price whether it's time or luxury or there's a whole bunch of stuff, right?
1: There's a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, I, I make the statement early on in the book that, you know, skiing's almost killed me and saved me at the same time. (laughs) And, um, you know, so, you know, everything from, you know, growing up in a family with seven kids, the, this, the different relationships with all the siblings, the complicated relationship with my brother who I love so much, John, um, over the years, uh, divorce, business failures, you know, all that stuff's in the book. So, you know, going through that was emotional and it was hard and it took me a while to kind of, I would hit different roadblocks and then getting beyond it. And then I was kind of like holding back because I'm like, oh, what are people going to think? You know, they're going to read it. What's that going to feel like? Right. Um, and then again, Eric was able to, to frame that Um, and, and allow that some space too. So then when people started reading the book and giving us reviews, I kind of calmed down a little bit, um, that, you know, yeah, it's going to be okay (laughs) to kind of, you know, kind of pull back the curtain, so to speak, um, so, it yeah, takes
0: it a lot true. of uh, bravery to to do that. I mean, you're exposing oh, sure. yourself and the more popular you are, the more people are looking at it. You're putting your life on blast. I mean, you know, you might as well go on social media and just tell everybody every little <laughs> detail that you don't want them to know, because that's kind of what you're, you know, you're exposing. Uh, and it's it's great that you did that, you know, because you might inspire a lot of people out there.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, thanks. And and, you know, the book sort of. uh 30 years in a white haze that is, is references. The, uh, the Mount Elbrus expedition in 1990, where I was lost in a storm for over 38 hours. And what was uh, that like? That was crazy. I mean, to f- read the book, Mario. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but, but <over laughs> it's not the short <laughs> version. I got to read the book, but <laughs> yeah.
1: well, over 15 people died and, um, oh, geez. a Russian saved my life. And, uh, Wow. Brought me back to life. I was having a white light experience when he found my snow cave, and yeah. um, so the book really looks at that and looks at how trauma, uh, you know, shapes your life and the decisions you make and your reactions to things. And so, you know, through that through that lens is how we tell the story, how we open it and and tell it. So, what people, you know, that that expedition, 1990s, never really been written about. A lot of people don't realize that Mount Elbrus kills more people annually than Everest. Really? Uh, you know, uh, Kit and Rob Delorier who, you know, Kit skied the seven summits and uh, they had a bad storm on Elbrus as well. And were sort of reliving uh, my experience and remembering my experience because they had only r- heard about it. And then they were sort of witnessing the storm themselves years later, almost 10 years later on Elbrus. So you know that story's never really been told, so now it has been, uh, and it connected me back to a lot of people that were on that trip that I hadn't spoken to in 30 years. Um, wow. And uh, uh, Sasha, who saved my life, is no longer with us, um, so we weren't able to really, you know, wrap that piece of it up. But we did get a hold of the guides from Shamani and the other people involved with the trip.
0: Was Was um, Sasha with your group?
1: He wasn't. Was not- he wasn't. Uh, he him and I. After he found me, him and I rescued fourteen people the next day.
0: Wow, unbelievable! And what is it about Elbrus that makes it so so catastrophic?
1: Well, I think there's two elements to that. One, it, it, it's known as a long slog, so you know you can take a lift up to about uh, ten thousand feet, stay at a refuge around fourteen thousand, and then climb to eighteen five. Uh, it's accessible, so there's a lot of people on the hill. But it sits right off the Black Sea and gets a ton of weather. Uh, the the storm that uh, trapped us trapped fifty people, snowed five feet, and blew over a hundred miles an hour. Wow, Seriously.
0: that is crazy. Wow, and I thought Shackleton had it bad. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, you know that's great because we and we, you know, Shackleton's one of my faves. Right? I mean, who doesn't love? Yeah, Shackleton. That and, story uh, is just incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. So we. You know, there's a chapter called Young Men Seeking Adventure where we open up with Shackleton um, mm. and just kind of, you know, we even today, pro skiers, ex-gamers, up-and-comers are risking their lives for next to nothing. Uh, you know, we, Eric and I figured out that uh, we found a quote from Peter Oliver from a story I was in Ski Magazine that the average uh, extreme skier in the 80s was making the wage of a McDonald's worker. Um, you know, and but the, if you look at the risk we were taking for that small financial reward, it's just fascinating, right?
0: Wow, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you put it in terms like that, you're like, Yeah, I just could have been making fries, and <laughs> doing the same safely making fries, wouldn't have had to get rescued or anything, right? But exactly. Of course, the foundation that you kind of build doing that kind of stuff, this you know, it's led you to this life that you know, a little bit more exciting and rewarding than the McDonald's career. And again, you could have gotten trapped in the walk-in freezer. It would have been the same thing, right? You had to get rescued by a Russian guy. You never know. (laughs) Perhaps there's another Dan and another uh, universe that is having the same experience back (laughs) then. (laughs) 1990 Dan at McDonald's.
1: (laughs) Uh, We have a chapter called Ski Bumology 101. Uh, It's sort of the intro to ski bumming. And, uh, <laughs> oh, perfect. Appreciate awesome. That chapter.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we're doing it kind of the wrong way. Like you're supposed to be a ski bum when you're in your teens and 20s. We're kind of doing it in our later years. That's sort yeah. of just getting, we didn't, we, you know, Mary and I didn't get we introduced to skiing super thing. early. So we just kind of discovered it later and we're like, yeah, this is yeah. kind of way more fun than a regular job with a suit and a boss. So <laughs> yeah, after so, we get in there, in that environment. Right. And we realize this sucks. <laughs> Some people lay bloomers. That's what we're going to call ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so during your career, Dan, like what has, how has the definition of what skiing means to you changed? So I'm sure as like a young guy, you were probably just like, I'm going to huck the biggest cliff and I'm going to do the gnarliest run. And like, how has it just evolved and changed over time?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, skiing is uh, I've been thinking a lot about that lately, Um, you know, going out and skiing here in the East Coast when it, you know, it's not the best, but I still am skiing and I still love it and I'm still getting the same jazz out of it. And I'm still find myself going top to bottom, countless laps, uh, only waiting for people who can keep up, (laughs) you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, I I think it's that freedom. You know, of the gravitational pull that frees us, puts us into the now. It it clears our head. We forget about the past and the situations that are going on. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be a powder run. Uh, Just the simple act of gliding over, on, and through snow is a release. Um, and that, that still exists for me. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, even though it's, you know, become a business and, and I depend on it and I have to go out there and slug it out some days to make it happen. I still got to pick up the phone and return the calls. I've never been very good at that. Returning (laughs) emails, as you know, not my, not my favorite thing, but you know, you still got to go out there and, and, uh, you know, make the donuts, uh, but something happens whether I'm coaching a camp. Uh, guiding in Montana. Once that connection hits with another passionate soul, somebody wants to learn, somebody wants to explore. I'm all in, and I I get jazzed, and I get to share a lifetime of knowledgement and experiences, and people learn, and and that that's what really keeps me going. You know, it's it's that sharing. Uh, it's generational, as we know. This beautiful thing about the sport. It's so generational. It gets passed on. Um, You know, I I, again, I write this in the book, you know, my oldest brothers, Bob and John, they wouldn't wait for me. They they were eight and six years older. And, you know, by they would ditch me on every weekend. I'd get caught in line. I couldn't catch up. But that's what made me the skier I am, you know, just determined to get out there and get after it and find them and catch up to them. And I remember the time, you know, sometime in my teens, I thought I'm going to catch these guys. Ah, gonna do it. It's like that classic little brother
0: syndrome, right? Like yeah. first you get picked on, you get picked on, and all of a sudden, yeah. you're the one there ripping right in the front of them. That's awesome, and they're trying to catch you, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So I know there's been a bunch of articles that have come out too, and you know, kind of in the same vein as what we were just talking about. I think it was Bloomberg or one of those kind of, uh, you know, newsy websites that was saying that, you know, skiers you should just not ski this year. You know, this is your your don't do it. And, you know, with all the craziness in the world and, and everything going on, like like how would you respond to someone who was trying to, to say that just stay off the slopes? You don't have to go.
1: You know, it, uh, I think we're skiing more than I would have guessed right now. Um, you know, when you think about the ski industry closing down last March, you know, with such fewer cases uh that caused to shut down in the spring, uh to think that we opened up with so many cases now, it's a little hard to get your head around that. Uh and of course everybody wants to say that skiing, you know, we're outside, we're socially distanced, our skis are long and all that sort of thing, but they're missing really the point, right? It's going to be in the base lodge. It's going to rip through a ski patrol or the ski school. Right. Like that's where the, and then what shut Europe down was not so much the ski areas, but the fact that the hospitals didn't have capacity for ski accidents. They were already full from COVID. So they couldn't handle a concussion, a broken leg, or a blown out knee. And ultimately that could be, be what happens to us. I, every time I'm out there skiing, of course, I'm grateful. It's like, wow, we're doing it. People, it's very courageous. I think the operators of the ski resorts are really brave. You know, they're taking on a lot of responsibility. They're really, their businesses and their livelihoods are on the line and they're, and they're rolling the dice and they're going for it. And I respect all the ski area management and, you know, of course the manufacturers, because You know, they're making it happen right now. We're just enjoying it. Uh, But there's a lot on the line for the people that are giving it the green light. How many people should ride a lift? How many people should be on the tram? You know, all that sort of stuff. And they're mitigating avalanche risk and weather and all those sorts of things. So, you know, I, I say it is the year to thank your lifty. It is the year to thank your ski patrol Uh the people that are turning those lifts on, keeping them running for us, they're going beyond the call of duty. Um and they're doing it for us. They're doing it for the passion and the love of it. And I can't thank them enough.
0: Yeah, and there's some you know, folks are you know, it gets political about the whole mask wearing, and it's like really you just you can't just throw it on for a couple minutes to go and just you know, keep keep your people safe in the lodge, keep them safe on the lift, go past your lifty, you know. It's it's one of those things like we kind of have to sacrifice a little bit so that we all can win. And it doesn't seem like it's that big of a cost
1: to do. Well, you, you, you know, as, as the skier, you know, wearing the mask, it's not that big of a cost, uh, to show up, you know, and to boot up in the parking lot and to walk the extra bit and do all those extra things. That's the easy part. Um, you know, and I always my heart goes out to the lifties that have to re that have to enforce the mask. You know, they're the lowest in the totem pole. They're not making a ton of money. They're not getting to ski. They're watching everybody have fun, and they have to be the bad guys. Like, right? You know, take it easy on your liftie. Bring Bring them a hot chocolate, seriously. Right.
0: And they're really, like you said, they're in harm's way. You know, they're yeah. the ones that are potentially being exposed to everybody walking by, rather than you know just being out on the mountain skiing. You know. For sure,, no, but For sure. I, I love the uh, going back to a comment you made earlier, you know just again, the East Coast, you know, we had that beautiful storm just before Christmas, and then, in perfect 2020 fashion, we get that Christmas Eve to Christmas Day, just deluge of rain. But you made the point like it, it doesn't have to be a two-foot powder day. I mean, you get one of those mornings where the, you know the sun is just kind of coming up, you're at the top of the mountain. There's no wind, it's quiet, and you just, you just hear yourself glide. And it's one of those things like, you know, people who aren't skiers, aren't boarders, who've never experienced that, you don't realize, it's, it could be, like you mentioned, the closest thing to pure freedom a human being can get. And it's one of those things that if you haven't experienced it, you're missing on one of the most beautiful things a human can't experience. And it sounds like really sappy and cliche to say something like that, but I'll have days like that too. We just get to the top and you're like, I'm the luckiest person in the world. I get to do this.
1: Yeah. You know, when I think about my, my parents trying to get seven kids out the door, dressed <laughs> a lot uh, of work. In, a, in a station wagon and go skiing. I mean, you have to believe that somewhere back there in my dad's mind, he was thinking he was going to have a good day too. Right. Like it maybe it wouldn't happen till like later in the morning or something, but you know, when people wake up and they and they make the decision to go skiing, the top of mind is like this could be the best day ever. Uh, and the chances of that are really slim, right? But it could be. And I always say it's that, that 85, 90% rule. You have an 80 to 90% chance of having a great day when you go skiing, regardless of the. To the conditions and it's way too much emphasis on conditions, you know? So I am not a powder snob. It doesn't matter to me. Like I'm skiing, you know? Yep. And yeah, I like powder skiing as much as the, but I'm not going to let conditions dictate my mood. Uh, people say the snow is bad. I'm like, what'd it do to you? It's snow. How <laughs> could it be bad? Yeah. <laughs> <right>? <laughs>
0: it's like the, uh, the it's Buddhist term, you. you know? There's no positive, there's no negative. It's just sun faced Buddha and moon faced Buddha. You know, that's right. It's just snow. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. My sister, you know, she learned to snowboard in Park City and she's like, oh, it's so icy here. I'm like, you don't even know what you're talking about. Like, you haven't been to Killington on one of those days where it goes from 50 to 20 overnight. You should be wearing ice skates the next morning. (laughs) The first day we ever did Jackson hall, I think we were out and, and it was breakfast and you know, everybody's, you know, getting ready. They're eating, you know, at the, at the hotel. And there was a little kid that was like, I don't know, it's a little cloudy out. And the mother and the father were like, yeah, maybe we won't go out today. And I'm like, Cloudy. <laughs> it's not going to rain. <laughs> Hopefully, it'll snow. That's great. Exactly. Oh. So I am happy though. I was like, at least they won't be on the mountain. <laughs> yeah, seriously, right? Some people again. It's it's all your point of view. It's all your perspective. You know, if you want to, if you want to find negatives in this world, you, there are plenty of them to find. If you want to keep things positive and stay focused on that, you're going to live a much happier, fulfilled life.
1: For sure. For sure.
0: So, Dan, is there anything left in the ski world that that you still want to accomplish?
1: Um, Yeah, for sure. Um, (laughs) Backflip? I never never went upside down on purpose. Uh, (laughs) And I'm leaving that for the nephews. They're all doing fine. Uh, Uh. (laughs) Watch Jack Egan in the bumps sometimes out of CVA. He's crushing it. Uh, Johnny's boy, uh, little Johnny, he's not so little anymore from uh, living out in Bozeman where I am. I actually saw him last December yeah. at Sugarbush and like I just watched him just like explode and just vanish. <laughs> yeah. Go on.
0: Go
1: on. <laughs> God. Was, was he really
0: yeah. Was he really ever there? See that's he's, what you got. There.
1: He's, this is true. a wormhole late too. He won't. If I'm in front, he won't pass. You know, so I have to like <laughs> that's go respectful ahead. Too. Like I can't keep up, dude. Just <laughs> let it on, let it go. But, um, you. Yeah, I mean there's a few projects I have that uh, you know, of course, uh, White Haze was a big one to get off the uh, there's another one that Eric and I are going to tackle uh, called Dying to Ski. It's a book of uh, project about all, all my de- my friends that we've lost to the sport. Uh, I've identified 25 pros that I've been associated with that are no longer with us. So we want to tell their stories yeah. and connect them Um I have yet to ski in South Africa. It's a two-week season, and it's just hard to nail it down. But uh, I really—that's always been on the list. Um, Brother John's doing a great job of getting every continent. I think he's just one short now. Um, What's he and, missing? Uh, that's a good question. I, I got to check in with him because he did Antarctica uh,
0: last year, right? He did Antarctica.
1: He's been, yeah. He 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 may have him. I. But we one thing in the book is we have a worldwide map of every place we've skied. Awesome. Um, so that's kind of cool to see that and, and all my sailing adventures as well. So it's kind of cool to see the globe kind of encompassed in that way. Um, nice. And so, yeah, you know, there's still a few things uh, that that I have project wise that I want to do. Um a couple of videos that have always been running around my head. I haven't produced yet, uh, that are getting easier to produce with technology too. Um, and you know, when you think back to all the things John and I did, and, and this is a big part of the book is like before go before social media, before YouTube, you know, Warren Miller was the original social media, uh, And it took a year to see the footage. You know, if we shot it in the winter, you had to wait a long time before you could get to see it in the theaters. Um, And our
0: clunky cameras, right? Like the cameramen were they had to be amazing skiers as well as amazing cameramen.
1: Yeah. The roll of film was only three minutes. So, you know, you you didn't you wanted to make sure it was a fresh roll. Because he didn't want the guy to run out, uh, uh, so it like, took did you get that?
0: Oh, I just ran out, right? Yeah,
1: just they would never tell <laughs> do you. Do it before. again. Oh. You know, you.
0: Yeah, it uh, didn't look that great. You, I think you should try it again. Right? Do it
1: again. <laughs> do it again. So you know, just the whole idea in white. In thirty years in a white haze, we tie the career to the VHS tape and the VCR. You know uh, the the conversation that we have in the book is that extreme skiing wasn't so much a sport as it was a form of entertainment because of the VHS tape. Very cool. Isn't it so funny?
0: Like what an effort it used to be to get a movie. You have to go, you have to have your parents take you to the video store and you have to hope the video store has the video you want, <laughs> that it's actually that the guy actually returned it, who borrowed it last night. And <laughs> now it's just like, I see my little son and he's just like, I want to watch uh, cars too. It's like, Snap your fingers, Disney like, Plus. Put boom. it on now, Dad. I'm like, <laughs> you're bossy. It's a bossy I had, Put it on, on now. I had a bootleg copy of Coming to America. We watched it 57 <laughs> times over and over again.
1: <laughs> well, you know, that, that was a real advantage, you know, it, um, that we lived on people's shelves, you know. Uh, yeah, for sure. And that really helped the name, you know. Uh, you can live on YouTube, but not everybody finds you, or it's not so evident. You don't get plugged in as much. You know, when the kids ask me today what they need to do, I'm like, Well, I don't you gotta stand out. One, you're dressing like everybody else, so that's that's not gonna help you. And then uh, you know, you gotta stand out and then you gotta be found. So, you know, the followers and the likes and all that really becomes its own thing. Um, you know, if we were lucky enough to sell you a VHS tape, I knew that I'd sit in that house for, you know, five to ten years. It's true.
0: Um, yeah. And maybe and get past the red and you know, well, that's yeah. the one cool thing you see at a lot of these, um, you know, like uh, ski rental places. If you hop into like a condo or an Airbnb, a lot of these places, at least I know the ones in New England, you get some of these places that have been around, you know, since the 70s. They'll have a collection of VHS tapes <laughs> and a lot of them have a VCR. It's amazing amazingly, yeah. it still works. And yeah. they'll have a bunch of Warren Miller movies, you yeah. know, so around you get around. home, you get home from skiing, you put the fireplace on, you throw on one of those movies. It's like a time machine. And it's yeah. it's amazing what you see.
1: It's it's really fun. You know, in my house, I have uh, a 16 millimeter projector, a uh, VCR, a beta, a high eight deck, and you can watch it in any format you want. Look at that.
0: That's awesome.
1: That is really cool. So
0: now when it comes to like, you know, uh, production and, and, you know, things that you're doing, I know we talked about skiing being generational, but um, are you, you feel that that's generational as well? And you're sharing that with your, you know, your your family, you know, to pass down as well.
1: Yeah. you on the production side. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's crazy with the production side because you know what they say is what happened to all the pioneers, you know, they get shot and killed. And uh, sometimes I feel like I'm too far ahead. You know uh, I'm, I'm ahead of the curve pushing technology, you know um, you know, everybody all of a sudden became a cameraman and a video video guy. Everybody's throwing a drone up there. Uh, how do you stay in advance? How do you stay in front of it? Um, and now yeah, there's TikTok. Yeah, there's tick, You know, tick, Everybody's tiktoking Everybody's doing it. So, you know, to really to maintain the production value, to storytelling, the things that make it rich uh, is really what matters. And, uh, you know, I consult to a lot of different, you know, age groups and kids trying to do it in different sports. Good. And I just tell them all the time, you know, uh, how's your storytelling? What 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 do you want to, people to walk away from? You know what what do you want to leave with them? How do you want to influence them? It's a transformation. You know you have to get people to change their paradigm. If you can change the way they see the slope. You can change the way they see the world, and and that's what we've been doing. You know when we jumped off the Berlin Wall in 1989, ski during Paris Strike in in Russia. You know skied with the Kurds during the first Persian Gulf War. We were in Yugoslavia a week before the war started, went to Romania after they murdered Ceausescu. We were just on the cutting edge of worldwide events, and we brought that audience to skiing. Um, and, you know, that was not by accident. You know, that that was John and I putting our heads together, looking at the world map, getting Warren Miller to buy in on it, and, and pulling that off. And the, the thing about that, too, is, if you think about the places we went in the 80s and 90s, some of them you could not go today. The world did not get safer. Um, right. You know, we were in the Middle East, you know, so all these sorts of things. Um, and it cracks me up. You know, uh, Candide made one of his movies, you know, The, the Great Wall of China. And in that film that he did it was really cool. I love what Candide does. You know, he went to six locations we had already been to. Uh, <laughs> wow! That's
0: he was actually skiing down the wall. And then yeah. he went to the desert and was skiing Yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah,
0: yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, hey, I you know what? You the Those nail on the head still nice too, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> wouldn't hurt. <laughs> I think you hit the nail on the on the head though. Like, there's so much content out there, but there's a lot of content that's just not really valuable content. It's it's I wouldn't say bad content. I just say it it's kind of doesn't have a soul. Right. But, but when you paint it together saying, you know, what story are you trying to tell? I think that's where people really need to focus and it's good to see that you're keeping that, that part of it going, you know?
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, in the spirit of Warren Miller, um, you know, transformation and 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 getting and being, you know, being able to laugh at yourself, um, being able to fall and stand up. It doesn't have to be perfect. Um, and telling a story, bringing bringing the audience along for the journey. That's that's what it's all about. You know, it's really hard. You know, you get you get on Instagram and, and somebody and really well-known skiers, they're just pointing the GoPro at their skis. Yeah. What are they showing me? They're not showing me the sign. They're not showing me the lifts or how they got up there. You know, I'm missing the atmosphere. Uh, You look, I can make turns right here down my backyard. Like that's cool and everything. But where's the adventure in it? Right. Well, I think that's a that's a great
0: point about storytelling and exactly what you're saying about those kind of videos yeah, they're in an awesome place and they're just showing their skis ripping, but it's, it seems very self-serving. It's like, look how awesome I am. Look where I'm able to be. It's not, hey guys, I want to bring you on this journey with me. Come check this out. Like, I want you to be part of this. It's never, the good, the good ones are able to make that. That's what Warren Miller was perfect at. You know, like, it's not, I'm the greatest skier. It's just, I'm having more fun than you. You know, I'm having more fun than the average, you know, person who may be a better skier than me, but they're not, they're not bringing you along for the journey to make you enjoy it too.
1: I had this discussion with Glenn Plake a couple of years back, actually, and we were talking about, you know, the fact that it's so instant now. People are not understanding how hard it is to get to these locations, how hard it is uh, to trek in, trek up, gear up. So it looks so easy because it's so instant. Um, And that's why I think we've also seen the accidents go up. Because people are un are unaware of the precautions they should be doing, and this year, of course, you know we're seeing it in Europe, we're seeing it in Colorado, a lot of avalanches, uh, a lot of people getting swept just because the pressure on the backcountry is is higher than before. Yeah, and you
0: mentioned too, you know, all these you know, newer, younger guys, girls too. They want to. How do I stand out? How do I, you know, make myself known? It's like, well, I'll go on this tr- trail or run or often these cliff and woods where no one's been before there might be a reason why no one's gone there before you know but the reason the smart ones haven't been there <laughs> people unfortunately that's almost what you have to do to stand out in a way is to be that person who's more extreme and I, I heard a great metaphor for that again too a few years ago they were talking about cars and the guy's like i bought a porsche i bought the boxster and the guy's like oh boxers are cool but you need to get 9-11 it's like oh, i got 9-11 now but well, i need 9-11 turbo like you know what, I'm getting a Prius. I don't care. Like, it's just, you, you just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's, there's like no end to, to kind of that. And it kind of works for skiing too. It, it could always be a more extreme, a bigger cliff, a, a, a larger drop. It's like, well, are you enjoying it? Or are you just trying to, to, you know, to push it to that next level?
1: You know, I think uh, progression, when you talk to the kids and you talk to, you know, the X game athletes, they talk about progression. Uh, and progression is the thing that where they can stand out and, and do tricks that, that people haven't done, uh, or, or do things. And, you know, the progression of extreme sports is multi-sport, uh, you know, and that was Shane McConti bringing that into ski basing and, and then the wingsuiting. And I, I interviewed, uh, you know, uh, JT Holmes the other day and, you know, he, oh, wow. he's, a, he's a multi-sport athlete, right? So, you know, when you see the progression, uh, bringing a multi-sport that that's where it's all going to go. Right. And, you know, once you're in that mindset, it almost has no limits, right. Cause you're going to pursue the next limits. You know, John always says when he was a kid in the seventies, everybody thought he was nuts. And now he's looking at these kids thinking like they're lunatics, you know, yeah. so it's just so interesting how it goes. It's funny. You watch like those early X games, from like that was it the mid nineties when
0: they started and you watch like the half pipe. You're like, I could pretty much do that almost <laughs> tiny halfpipe, And now it's like ninety-four twenty, backflip, double rotation, and you're like falling off a four-story building and I can't even do the math about how many rotations you just
1: did. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. same era. <laughs> crazy.
0: All right, John. Uh Dan, I'm sorry we've been kind of going on for a while here. Cut just a couple more questions. Um, do you have any tips for teaching a three-year-old? Because <laughs> I am currently this is my son's second winter I've had him on skis. And I've got the ski leash on him. And at first, I was kind of snow with him last year. But now he's gotten a lot heavier. So now I, I actually figured out last week when I took him, I'm able actually to actually parallel behind him because the leash is long enough. But he's just he loves the speed. He's just bombing down. But I want to actually get him to be able to do something, not just, you know, me kind of holding him. And he's like, Daddy, I'm the reindeer and you're like Santa. So do you have any of those like general tips oh, for teaching a little kid? Cause you know, it's generational, like you said, and, and I want to make sure I, I get him to fall in love with the sport the right way. Well,
1: yeah. I mean, one, let him play with ice cubes a lot.
0: You uh, know, it
1: used to being cold. Um, yeah, I like that. Two, uh, don't ski on uh, the groom slopes. Um, you know, let him go down a golf course, take him to a golf course. Take them to where there's obstacles where the turning becomes natural and purposeful. Um, You know, when, on the groomed beginner run, there's no reason to turn. Why would you turn? You don't have to, you can just point them. And even, even a three-year-old gets it fast as fun. Right. So, you know, when you put, you know, I learned to ski in on the backyard where there was obstacles, you had to go around a tree, you had to jump over the uh, driveway. Like, there were things that forced you to learn the skills. Um, So, you know, that's part of it is like, you know, on that perfectly groomed slope to him, speed is fun. So why would I turn? Why would I stop? And you're of course nervous because he's going to just like plow into the line at the bottom. But, but if you can just provide the obstacles uh, you know, maybe I, I used to travel with the, you know, I, I from my soccer team and I'd just take them out on the hill and bring the little disc uh cones and have them pick them up, go around them, you know, bring things to play with, and then it's it it takes their mind off it and it gives them a purpose. Um, but overall, you know, it, it, you have to think about their body strength and and all this sort of stuff. You're doing the most important thing. You've got them outside. He's with you, and he's having a ball. Success.
0: Yeah, he likes no, the cold,
1: right? So yeah, that's... he
0: loves the cold. Yeah, he's a yep. like tank of a kid. And uh, you know, I I actually do play a lot of Warren Miller movies for him. Uh, I just not. put them on, and he's. It's funny. Line of Descent is our movie. We always oh, watch wow. together because. <laughs> He loves the soundtrack and I love it too. And I love, there's a lot of, there's a lot of family elements in there because they're showing mm-hmm. Johnny Mosley with his sons and Tommy Moe with his kids. And it's just like, that's, and um, Seth Westcott having a, a little baby girl. So oh, okay. like, that's like our movie. For some reason, that's the year he was born. That one came out. Cool. And we watch it all <laughs> the time and he uh, he loves it. The, the that move uh, the the first song they play by um, Greta Von Fleet that there's the Jackson Hole part on, he calls that song Skiing. So he's like, Daddy, he play skiing. I'm like, put it on, repeat it 37 times. And, you know, he loves it.
1: When uh, Warren met, met my fam my parents, he said, your boys remind me that I'm never quite sure of how many lives I've ruined. <laughs> uh, That's
0: a beautiful thing. So, Dan, thank you so much for your time. Where can people get all the information they need so they can get this book?
1: Yeah, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, uh, 30 years in a white haze. You can go to white-haze.com um and check it out. We've got we're selling pre-orders now. Uh, uh book will be out uh Feb 15th and uh, paperback. Um you'll be able to find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble and everywhere. Are you yeah. doing an,
0: an audiobook as well?
1: Yeah, we're going to do an audiobook awesome. um which will be great. We'll do a Kindle book, so there'll be an ebook with it. Um, and all that's uh, coming. The book's got a lot of nice things in it. Um, each chapter has its own uh, illustration. Done uh, each. Illust- we had three artists work on the illustrations. Awesome. Uh, there was a character uh, in Valdezère, Joe Powder, that uh, uh, the artist did a whole, the, the ultimate run. And he took photos of John and I and had Joe, you know, go one better, one further. Oh, uh, nice. In the book. And uh, a lot of nice things in it should so we be looking
0: out for any book signings coming up too Are you know
1: plan virtual on doing that book signings yeah yeah we're gonna do for sure you know um we're gonna do that and i'm really excited to do that and just get back out on the road with it
0: yeah that'll so be you, fun people so you yeah february 15th so great valentine's gift yeah. if the person you're with does not want this as a gift. Maybe you're with the wrong person.
1: It's time to <laughs> shift gears.
0: That's true. That's right. Life is short. You got to make it happen. 2021 <laughs> is your year. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And can I wait to check out this book.
1: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks a hey, lot, man. Thanks, guys. As always. A lot of appreciate it. See you on the hill. All right, Come, Dan. All right. Good.
0: Thanks, guys. Come on yes. out. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks. thanks. All right. Ciao. All right. Again, his new book is coming out December 15th, 30 Years in a White Haze. Check it out, white-haze.com. We'll have the link to Dan and his other websites at our website, skeebonpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate it. Again, website, skeebonpodcast.com. Check us out on the socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter untapped at Ski Bum Podcast. If you want stickers or send us an email, Ski Bum Podcast at gmail.com. Buy some merch. Buy some merch, Ski Bum Podcast slash shop. Thank you to our sponsors, Teresia and Valon. Mario rocking the uh, Teresia jacket this weekend, going skiing at... A lovely place known as Ober-Gatlinburg. Yes. We can't wait to hear about that. Have an awesome trip. Can't wait to hear about Ober-Gatlinburg. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Stay high, stay alluding. See ya.